This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Hope you're enjoying your summer. And this week, I have Joe Gall back with me in studio. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you. So we're going to get into some things, and Joe, kind of continuing your story a bit from the times when you were in Central America, you went through something that happened to one of your daughters that triggered a crisis of faith, I believe. Oh, actually, that happened before we went to Guatemala. We were in that church planning phase in Colorado. <clears throat> Excuse me. We went to um, we went camping one weekend. And my uh, daughter fell into a campfire and just uh, fried her arm and her hand. And miraculously, her hair did not catch fire or her clothes did not catch fire. So, I mean, it was in and out, but the fire was so hot that it just uh, barbecued her, her, her right arm and hand. How old was she? She was only three. Wow. And uh, actually, that was the second of our little crises about that same time. Uh, the first one happened to our second daughter. She was only three months old, and she uh, developed pneumonia, a severe case of pneumonia, and thought we might lose her. It was a very, very scary time for us. And um, But great, uh, graciously, God gave her back. And But it, a whole year, we were just having to choke this god-awful medicine down her throat and, and do everything we could to keep her lungs open and clear and, and healthy. <clears throat> But then as, as we were coming out of that, that's when their second, our, the oldest then daughter uh, fell into this campfire. And then that was just an ongoing uh, painful experience. I always say that she fell into the fire physically, emotionally, the family fell into the fire. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you probably know what I'm referring to when, you know, one person hurts, everybody close to them hurts. And uh, so, yeah, we all, the whole family fell into the fire when that happened, uh, emo- at least emotionally. And uh, it, that took a lot of therapy, a lot of uh, uh, painful plodding along and trying to do ministry and trying to keep our, ourselves afloat and keep moving. <clears throat> and, and I have to say, initially, when this was all going on, the Lord was very, very close to me. I, I felt um, he, he was there. But, you know, after we kind of got through some of the intensity of what was going on, <clears throat> I um, I threw up the barriers. I thought this this is too painful. Um, Lord, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. I'm going to love you from afar. You know, I'll follow you as best I can, but I'm not going to get close. Um, it was just um, too painful, and it took me many many years to to work my way back to that to that intimacy again. So, you know, it is a, 
a form of PTSD, I think. I mean, I don't really know, but that's kind of what I label it with is uh, th- it was just a shock. It was an awe. It was a horrible experience. And that was my emotional, spiritual uh, response to what had happened at that time. And I don't know that anything in particular happened to get me back in in that intimacy with Christ, but it, it took time. It just took um, ongoing um, growth and development on my part, uh, confessing and repenting when it seemed that that was appropriate, uh, continuing the scripture, continuing the uh, prayer life. And, you know, eventually it's like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> you said it took years. How many years oh, before you were really close to the Lord again and the walls yeah. came down? You know, I'm going to say it was pushing 15. 15 years? I'm going to say it was it was about a 15. And it, this wasn't necessarily a conscious moving back towards Christ or overcoming this pain. The pain was in the past, but the, the emotional trauma was still there. Mm. And so it, it's an emotional response to the pain that I experienced uh, before that. Um, so I, I'm going to say between 10... 12, 15 years, somewhere in that, that range. <clears throat> but again, it just, uh, I think little by little, you know, I just, you might say I crawled my way back to intimacy with Christ. And, and that's not even a good analogy. I just gradually opened up. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. I just gradually uh, opened up myself more to his love and his presence and, and his working in my life again. So it wasn't that there wasn't still ministry going on. I, I was still functioning, but it was uh, with the walls up. Yeah. So how do you function with the walls up when you're trying to pour out to other people? You know, I think there's mask wearing. I, I think we're good at wearing masks. Um, so everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Look at me. And uh, But inside, you, you realize that, you know, there's stuff that's not right. It's It's not good. <clears throat> and this is something that I need to be healed of. And um, and I think the Holy Spirit's very patient and very kind and very gentlemanly. And I think just little by little, there was I, I would gain a little more healing, a little more confidence, a little more openness, and um, to the point where I think, uh, not that I'm there, I certainly haven't arrived, but it's certainly much better than it had been. Mm. So I know in my own life, when I want somebody to stay away, it's because there's a core belief there that I don't want you hurting me. <laughs> and there's a trust that's broken. Is Was any of that going on with you? Yeah, I, I would definitely. I think that's initially what was behind my pushing the Lord away. Again, it wasn't that I stopped following. I just started following from a distance. It wasn't that I stopped serving. I was just kind of serving from a distance. And... And I, I guess I did blame God for what had happened. I was serving him. I was uh, doing everything I thought that he wanted me to do. And then these painful things happened in my life. And and so, I mean, years later now, I, I can look back and, you know, some of the emotion is still there. But also, um, I can see that, you know, brokenness is, um, it's a gift. Mm. It's we don't sign up for that. We don't want it. Um, I want to run from it. But the Lord has a way of taking us through that. And when we come out on the other end, we're, we're healed. 
we're, we're uh, yeah, we've been broken, but he can begin to use that brokenness in the lives of others. There's a humility. Uh, we can um, can turn around and then help others who are going through the same stuff. Um, without brokenness, you get my arrogance, you get my pride, you get my you get my ego, but you don't get my humility. And I think that's what brokenness does. And, and from that place, we can begin to to really minister to others too. Mm. <clears throat> Last week, Joe, you shared how you went to seminary, Bible college, and got a degree in MDiv, and uh, and but it really sounds to me like the most powerful education you got was when you went through those dry years. Far more than the knowledge of studying scripture is valid and is needed. That as that is, yeah, that's. You know, I, I feel bad for pastors. <clears throat> I I know they they pour their hearts and souls into their study and their and into their messages. But to be perfectly honest, that for the most part, that ministry never changed my life much. My spiritual growth happened in small groups, small studies, discipleship programs, uh, personal Bible study and growth. That's where a lot of my growth has happened at, not sitting in a pew listening to a sermon that a, a pastor has you know, painfully prepared and, and delivered. But, you know, I, I think, too, and this would be for anybody who's out there who is going through some really horrible things. You know, uh, there's a lot of pain and, and suffering and hopelessness out there. But, you know, when you get alone with God, when you uh, give yourself to him, yeah, he takes you through some really tough stuff sometimes. And and it it hurts. It, it's very painful. And, and, you know, one person's pain is can't be compared to another's, but we all have it. But I think if we just take all of that, and and don't don't do what I did, and you hold God off. You draw closer to Him. Uh, allow those those difficult times to push you closer to Him, not further away. Mm. <clears throat> Joe, you told me a story when you were in a men's group, and they asked you a question about whether other brothers <clears throat> helped. Why don't you share that? <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah, there's a few moments in my life that have I'm not real proud of, and uh, <laughs> and. There was we just moved back from Guatemala and day in and day out you're you're putting your life and sometimes your safety on the line and and uh things weren't always safe and but you you found a there's a a, a lot of us there that were like-minded. You know, we were there for the same reason. We we were encouraged by one another and built up by one another. And we moved back from Central America back to the United States and uh we're part of a church there and and I joined this early morning men's bible study and the pastor who was leading it uh, one of his friends had written a book on prayer and so it's like six in the morning six thirty in the morning whatever it was I wasn't ready for it mm-hmm. <laughs> but I arrived with all these other guys and god bless them you know there must have been 25 of us there on a, a like an early Wednesday morning and uh and so one of the first questions this pastor asked is, do, uh, do other Christians build you up in your faith or do they, or don't, or don't they? I think that's how it was. And at six o'clock in the morning, half awake, 
apparently the answer they don't build me up was the wrong answer. <laughs> I I was my context was in Guatemala. There was a lot of like-minded missionaries and others who were challenging me and and encouraged me and now I was back in the United States and and I wasn't getting the the encouragement to do anything <laughs> for uh, as far as that goes to uh, to really push me in my faith or encourage me in my faith. So yeah, that early morning uh, uh, Bible study was not the time to say no. They don't build me up. <laughs> so are you? What you're really saying is, what we do is just try and be nice to each other and study the Bible and go home. But there's no challenge. To take our life with God to another level? Yeah, you know, it's easy to be a Christian here. When I became a Christian many, many years ago, I, I probably lost a couple of friends that probably weren't worth having. And But other than that, uh, it was relatively easy. There's some people, some parts of the world, they come to Christ and their lives might be on the line. They might be ostracized by their families. So, uh, Faith is in Christ is not easy in some places. It's very easy here. And I think we get comfortable, we get complacent. You know, why do I need to pray? I'm not I'm not struggling, I'm not suffering, I'm not going without food or shelter. Uh it's just so easy. And I make money and I can spend it on myself and maybe give a little bit to the church or to give to some charities. But uh I I think I found that to be a one of my challenges coming here or coming back to the U.S. was that it's just so easy to be complacent. It's so easy to be comfortable. It's so easy to be uh, to uh, let your uh, your skills get dull. You might say for uh, Bible study, for teaching, for evangelism, and other things. It's just too easy. God's Word talks about. Um our churches are supposed to be houses of prayer, and then you look in the book of Acts, all the way they began with all of them praying, and then that's how they received power. Why is it our churches in the U.S. are not houses of prayer? And why is the Wednesday night Bible study become extinct in the American church? Yeah, I think the last uh, time we talked, uh, I mentioned that I would go to our church's Wednesday night prayer meetings, and, and there is a definite difference for me between pre-Guatemala and post-Guatemala. And while we were in Guatemala, it seemed like the, the Wednesday night prayer meeting disappeared. That's about the time it seemed like it just— What year was that? Uh, we came back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I also noticed that there seemed to be a lot of biblical illiteracy for some reason. I, I don't know the reason for that, but it's like a lot of Christians— didn't really know the scriptures anymore. Um, so to answer your question, I, I think <laughs> this is my my view. I think Wednesday night prayer meeting was probably just hard to get people out to, so we're going to do away with it. And I, I think that's – it's sad. And I know people's lives are busy, but maybe we're too busy Maybe we're too busy about the wrong things, and we should get back to being busier about the right things. <clears throat> and I, I just feel like, and I'm not making a push for Wednesday night prayer meetings to make a comeback, but a designated focus on prayer, whether it's Sunday morning before church, whether it's a Saturday night, whether it's a Wednesday night, sometime during the, the week, our church is going to pray. 
We're going to gather whoever wants to, whoever can, and maybe only two people show up. But let it start there. And I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be part of two organizations that had a massive emphasis on prayer. Um, and the one uh, I went on a six six week uh, missions to Europe, and I think it was every Wednesday night we had all night prayer meetings, and hundreds and hundreds of twenty something kids were in this auditorium praying almost all night. I don't think anyone made it all night, but. It was give no matter where you were in the world <clears throat> that particular night you prayed and you were part of the the global prayer movement of that organization and so and, and the organization that we're with now too it's we have a, a I feel a strong emphasis on prayer and it seems to come from the top down and so I think if leadership isn't emphasizing the the value and the importance of prayer then no one else is going to get it. It's got to – I mean, I say it's got to come from the top. I think the leadership has to spearhead it. But grassroots people, you know, a lot of times in history, revival started right there. It wasn't from the clergy. A lot of revival started from the grassroots. Mm. <clears throat> One thing that struck me, as you said, that the Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting from your perspective seems to have vanished around 2007 – you or, came back around there? Yeah, somewhere in the span of 10 years, and that's when we came back was in 2007. That's the year the iPhone came out. Ah. <laughs> well, the Internet age has obviously been coming along for a while there too. <clears throat> but when the iPhone came out, and all of a sudden everybody has that smartphone in their pocket. Yep. It's going to choke their attention. And I imagine when you're in Guatemala and the demonic realm is right there in your face, uh, prayer is the most powerful weapon, right? <laughs> so you got to be into prayer meetings, right? Yeah, it's and, and again, this is where I think Guatemalans could teach me a thing or two about all of this because they knew what was out there. I, I didn't have to tell them; they knew what was out there. They knew what their neighbors were dabbling in. They knew what their lives had been given to, and uh, even a lot of them had come out of of this, uh, these experiences as well. But yeah, uh, and, and I know people from Africa and, and Asia and other parts of the world now, and, and these people know how to pray. They, they <laughs> and I think they look at us sometimes like, is that it? Is, is that, is that our prayer meeting? Is that what we do for prayer? It's like, they don't say this, but it's like, like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> so that's, uh, now their teaching might be a little, iffy sometimes, but they're, they know how to pray. Mm. In his book, Letters to the Church, Francis Chan shared a story of how um, when a friend of his from India came here, he made a comment that, in his words, you Americans, get a, you won't go to anywhere unless you have a polished speaker and a worship band, where in India, believers get excited for prayer meetings. And I read that, and Francis himself, Francis Chan himself said that was embarrassing to hear. Yeah. It, it, you know, some of my best worship experiences were along a jungle river under a thatched roof with a mud-packed floor, and the music was horrid. <laughs> <clears throat> the, the quality of music is not important. The volume is what's important. <laughs> and so, yeah, but it, it was amazing. It was beautiful, and, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit was there. God was there. And, you know, I had this uh, – I'm a little embarrassed to tell this, but I'll tell it anyway because <clears throat> it kind of shows, uh, again, my uh, humanness. 
take the mask off, right? Uh, I, I was uh, struggling with the amount of money that was being spent on this renovation project, uh, lights and sound and theater seats and different things going on. And Talking in the U.S. now? Yeah, yeah, back in the U.S. <clears throat> and, and I'm just like uh, just struggling with it. And I heard the Lord say to me, this isn't for me. This is for man. Mm. You got to see my light show. <laughs> so, you know, after that, I was good. You know, it's like, okay, you got this. This isn't really my concern. This isn't up, this isn't up to me. This isn't my decision. And, and the Lord's got this. You know, he's still the head of his church. <clears throat> but it was a, a personal struggle that I was going through at the, the, the moment. So I still have childish behavior from time to time. <laughs> well, I don't know that that was childish. I mean, when you're spending – Whatever, tens of thousands of dollars on a speaker system, but you're not on your knees in prayer. To me, we're missing it. Yeah, and A.W. Tozer was a, a big influence in my life early on in my Christian life. And, and he has said something to the effect that we put more confidence in our programs than we do in prayer. We put more, and it's true, you know, we, we, depend a lot on our creativity and our ingenuity and our, our uh, you know, whatever we can dream up. We, we put a lot of emphasis on that. But well, I had – I'll tell you another story I, I had years ago when it was a missions meeting. There were a lot of missions leaders that had come together. <clears throat> and one of the Brazilians at one point got up and said, you know, you North Americans, you're like speedboats. You've got the resources, you've got the personnel, you've got the training. All you have to do is hit the gas, and you can blast through the through the waves. He said, us Latin Americans, we're not like that. We have to set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit mm. to, to guide us. And I remember thinking in that moment, I thought, forget the gas-powered steam uh, motorboat. You know, just give me the sailboat. Um, I, I don't. I want what God wants. I don't want what I can do or what I can force through the, through uh, and push through. Uh, that's just effort and a lot of resources. And, and maybe God is or maybe God isn't in that. And sometimes I, I have to question that if there hasn't been significant prayer going into, into a ministry. What I can't help wondering sometimes is what we do shows what we believe. And if we really believe that prayer was as powerful as we say we we preach it yeah. why wouldn't we do that so to me it almost sounds like we don't really believe in prayer like all these messages and sermons that we hear day in and day out well i think there's some people who have i would say a gift of intercessory prayer these people are going to pray and and i want to know who those people are mm-hmm. <laughs> and then i'd say there's a large group of people who People who are in the ministry, they pray. It's not that they don't pray. It's just that it's not a, a huge emphasis. You know, what I study and what I preach when it comes to the Word of God, that's what's most important. And I, I would like to reverse that a little bit. No, your relationship with God is what's most important. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray. Let's tap into what he's doing and what he wants to do. And then we'll follow that. Mm. You know, let's not make our plans and ask God to bless them. Let's ask God what his plans are, and then we know he's going to bless those. And then just get on board with that. That's that's where I want to be. 
Amen to that. I want the sailboat. (laughs) (laughs) So talk, give me Joe Gall's vision for the church Ah, in one minute. In one minute. Uh, A church on their knees, desperately crying out to to Christ, to God, uh, worshiping at his feet, filled with his Holy Spirit, and being unashamedly uh, obedient. Mm. Boy, I like that. And what I noticed is the worship band wasn't in that picture. No, I can worship God just humming a few bars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us, Joe. Thank you for being with us the last two weeks. And uh, we'd love to see you next time. And and thank you for those who've been writing and and sharing that, that you're on board with what we're doing. So we'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me. Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.